Two down in the ninth. Bumgarner thrown. Robinson waits. Here comes the pitch. High drive. Number 600 for Ken Griffey Jr. I don't believe what I just saw. Behind the back, the second, on the first double play. Incredible. Swing and drive. Mountain right. Welcome to the show. Are you ready to talk baseball? Well, step up to the plate. You're listening to Passion for the Pastime. And here's your host, Walter. Now you would think, anyone would think that a young kid from Fresno, California would ever end up in Cooperstown, New York. You say, how in the world can it happen? And it can happen very easily when you have the kinds of friends, the kinds of people, the kinds of support, the kinds of education, and most importantly, the kinds of family that I've had in my 40 years of living, 47 years of living. Wow. That uh, that was part of the induction speech for the late great Tom Terrific Tom Seifer uh, from the 1992 Hall of Fame induction ceremony. That's kind of what I wanted to start off uh, talking about in this podcast. We lost a legend in the world of baseball, Tom Seifer, who uh, many you know for the New York Mets. He is the franchise. That was his nickname, the franchise, uh, Tom Terrific, on top of many others. And uh, he passed away at the age of 75. A really, um, you know, big blow to the Mets family, to baseball family. Uh, Just 2020 just doesn't get any easier as we keep moving on into the year. And uh, Tom Seifer, you know, it's interesting for me to talk about him. Uh, because I never, I never got to see him play. Right, you're you're going back and you're and you're listening to this Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and like I said, it was 1992. It was specifically August 2nd, 1992, when he was in, elected into the Hall of Fame. With then was the highest mark, which was 98.8, and that stood for about 20. 20 plus years uh, up until recently with uh, Mariano Rivera, right? So it's uh, it's it's really hard to grasp um, just to understand ju- the the emotions that a lot of people go through uh, with Tom Seifert. Like, like I said, he was the the franchise. He was Mister Met. Uh, you know, he brought them a World Series. He was just the epitome of what it meant to be a ball player. I mean, you just listen to that speech. Outside of all the numbers, and we'll talk about the numbers, of course. That's what we talk about here on the podcast. We talk about the numbers of these players. But also, you have to remember the human being. And all the time when we go through these Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, you see how real, how personable, how uh humble you know such such a class act these people are because after all they are human beings they're just like you and me they're just more talented at a at a at a game you know that that's what that's what they do but you know it's just it's interesting for me to go back and listen to it because i myself that was honestly prepping for this podcast that was the first time that i've heard tom seifer's 
Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It was in 1992. And I was... What I was a couple of months old at the time, right? I, I'm not gonna remember that. Like, you know what I mean? It, it uh, it, it's it's crazy when you go back and you know the history just because you're a baseball fan and baseball, just just sports in general. You know, you can go back and look at the history uh, all you want, but it's a different feel when you're living through it, right? Like right now, living through the milestones of of some of the greatest players of my lifetime. Like imagine going down the road and these players that I grew up watching, idolizing, you know, and, and to hear them passing away. That's what Tom Seifer was. I mean, everyone, especially as a Mets fan, but just baseball in general, everyone had a soft spot uh, for Tom Seifer. There was no, no question as to why he was voted in with 98.8%. And I wanted to start that off. Uh, with this podcast today, uh, we have tons of baseball stuff to talk about. We have the Yankees. Uh, we got some milestones that, as I hinted at with uh, with Clayton Kershaw. We'll talk about that as well. Some NL East action, but just wanted to start it off on the right foot with uh, Tom Seifer, who again passed away earlier this week uh, at the age of seventy five, and he was. I mean, when we when you talk about Tom Seifer, we talk about the New York Mets. He was the franchise. He was that team. He won 311 games. He had a 2.86 career ERA. He pitched 4,783 innings and racked up 3,640 strikeouts, which leaves him sixth all-time and just a, a cherry on top 44 shutouts, career shutouts. Do people even know what a shutout is anymore? I mean, we don't see pitchers do that anymore. He had 44 of those. And those are just the numbers, right? I mean, you you always look at the numbers. And all those numbers, by the way, that I just read off, he was the le- the, the the franchise leader. In those categories, he led in wins. He led in innings pitch, strikeouts, ERA, and shutouts. He was what success was for the Mets. And he won three Cy Young Awards during his time as a major league pitcher. And one of them came in the improbable World Series win in 1969. Again, this is just the history. I wasn't around then. But 1969, that would be his first Cy Young Award to to win it. He would win a National League Rookie of the Year two years prior to that, 1967. But uh, 1969, he would get his first of three Cy Youngs, take the Mets to the World Series, and win it. Now, he was always described as a winner, a leader, and just plain special. And when you go back and because, you know, unfortunately, when when these players, when these icons pass, you, you tend to see a lot of their highlights. And me, as a, a baseball fanatic, I try to watch as many highlights as I can, especially on the games that I wasn't around to see. Like Clemente highlight reels, I got that down. Like you need you need a link, I'll shoot it to you. <laughs> I, I I love the history of the game. 
any highlight that I can get my hands on. Everything in the game of baseball, it, it's there, especially now, like on YouTube. I mean, you can just type it in and you get it. But watching Seifer, it, it was it was interesting to to see the way that he pitched, his special delivery. Because I I know a lot of you that grew up watching Tom Seifer or know about him more than I ever would. He had this funkiness to his delivery to where he would uh, pretty much rub his knee uh, on the mound almost. And what was really cool what the Mets did uh, in the days leading uh, past the the passing of Tom Seifer was that they rubbed some uh, some dirt on their on their knee on their right knee because that was pretty much what would uh, what would t- tie everyone his signature to Tom Seifer that was his signature because of his delivery that he had uh, it it was a iconic drop and drive delivery that he had literally rubbing his knee on the mound <laughs> and it was it was just it was amazing it was amazing and to see those highlights i'm just like how his knees didn't hurt like how did he do that for 20 years that's just amazing and for him to do that he was just ah, man i just don't have words i really don't i mean look at the highlights look at his career resume and then just listen to the voice of him at the beginning of this podcast just such a class act and i mean yeah he was just a kid from fresno california tom terrific and he's no longer with us number 41 for the mets and i i know a a few mets fans and i know some people that have actually you know seen and and grown up watching tom seifer in his heyday, in his years of dominance. And they took it really, really hard. I mean, we don't know these players. We don't know these people personally. But when you grow up idolizing someone, it it, it hits you differently when they finally pass. And I can see the, uh, the grab, the hold that Tom Seifer had on a lot of the baseball community just in the people that I've talked to over the last uh, couple of days since since the passing. So, you know, I, I just wanted to start off this podcast and remember Tom Seifer uh, before we talk about all the baseball stuff because, you know, Tom Seifer was really an icon in the game and it's it's sad to hear of his passing. And it's it's sad days for the Mets franchise, for the family of Tom Seifer, and just you know it, it's 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 hard to grasp. Especially, I mean, seventy five. It, it's 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 young. <laughs> it's it's young. So um, let's move on from the talk of Tom Seifer, and let's kind of get into some baseball talk, right? Because I think we could all use some baseball uh, pick-me-up here. You know, after talking about Tom Seifer, you know, it, it, was a, it was a great loss to the baseball community. But we always talk about the baseball gods. And that is what Tom Seifer is now, 
right? He's no longer with us, but he is a baseball god. He is an, a legend. And that is a direct quote from Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso hit a walk-off home run in the first game that the Mets would play since the passing of Tom Seifer. And he was quoted as saying, he's a legend. Now he's a baseball god. He's smiling down on us right now. And that was perfectly said. Pete Alonso in the in the downpour of rain playing against the Yankees. And the big story here is how I'm tying it in all together. We got to talk about the Yankees. What has been going on with the Yankees lately? Uh, with everything that went down at the beginning of the week, the Yankees and the Rays got into it. Forget what night it was. It might have been Monday night. might have been Tuesday night. My, my days are kind of running all together. I want to say it was Tuesday night. But the, uh, the Yankees and the Rays, they get into it in the ninth inning when Chapman decides to throw a 101-mile-an-hour fastball at Mike Brasso. What the hell are you thinking, man? Like, what is going on? These pitchers continually throw at batters, and we've always had these conversations, and, you know, it's it's such an old-school mentality, but throwing 101 at someone's head? And I'm saying it barely missed. I'm saying it missed by maybe a couple inches. Like, it looked way too close to comfort. And Chapman does it, gets suspended for three games. Of course, he's appealing it. Not a shocker. Manager for the Yankees, Aaron Boone, he gets suspended for a game. Kevin Cash as well gets suspended for a game. And mainly because Cash, he was upset. He came out of the dugout. You know, it wasn't really a brawl. It wasn't really a pushing match. But they they came out of the, the, the dugouts and they... They made their voices heard. And I'm not sure. I want to say that this was this comment was made in the post game. Uh, but, you know, Kevin Cash came out and said, somebody has to be accountable. And this was mainly the reason why I think that he got the suspension was somebody has to be uh, accountable. The last thing I'll say on it is I got a whole damn stable full of guys that throw 98 miles an hour, period. Mic drop. Hell yeah, Kevin Cash. He has to step up for his guys because 101 at the head. Now, I'm not endorsing any side of it, but given the circumstance, Kevin Cash had to say something. I mean, you know, that's pretty much a warning to the Yankees saying, hey, cut that crap off, or I got tons of guys that could throw 98 plus. And they're just itching to get into the game to do something. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but hey, they're grown men. They can decide what the, what they want to do. That's pretty much what Kevin Kevin Cash said. And and granted, I mean, he may be instigating a situation, which is most likely why he got the suspension. But you got to remember this was this happened. I want to say it was a post game. I don't think that this was a quote that was taken out during the uh, the quote unquote scuffle. That happened. But regardless of when it was said, 
whether it be during or a couple minutes after, because it was in the ninth inning, game ended shortly after. Regardless of when it happened, you know he was ticked off. So I don't blame him for talking that way. Now, you know, backing it up and all that kind of stuff, that's a whole nother conversation because I'm I'm kind of done with the throwing at batters. So especially when I see too many of them go at the head, man. Like we just what's going to have to happen is that a player is going to have to get hit in the head and get severely concussed to where he can't play the game anymore. That's where people are going to start giving a damn. And Chapman, I mean, he throws 101 miles an hour. I haven't seen, and it was right behind the head. And I've never seen him lose control that much. To where he comes out and says, I didn't throw at him. I didn't do it on purpose. Okay, well, what do we expect him to say? <laughs> yeah, I threw at him. Like, no, he's not going to say that. Who in, their, who in their right mind is going to confess that? Maybe Trevor Bauer. I mean, but outside of that, who? Who's going to say that? Especially 101 at the head. That's the thing. That's the thing that gets me. I mean, you throw it at at their at their at their back. You throw it at their thigh. You throw it at their butt. I mean, okay, I understand. I still don't like it, but I understand. But when you throw it at the head, that's what we were talking about. You can kill someone if you get them if you hit them right. That's the problem here. So tying it back in with the with the. Uh, with the with the Mets or or about to get there because Chapman he he fights off his suspension he he's going through appeals and what happens next is Mike Brasso he goes ahead and has a two home run day gets his revenge on the Yankees which the Rays have a five game lead at the moment on those same Yankees going into what is it about about the last 20 games of the year, 22 games of the season? That's uh that's where we're at now. That's where we're at. 5 games away, the Rays seem to be running away from the Yankees at the moment. And those were big moments for uh for the Rays and Mike Brasso. Not just not the fact that they won but the fact that he hit two home runs on the team that threw intentionally at him. You know he was jacked up. Who wouldn't be jacked up? Especially when you do it the day after. I mean, it would have been even better if he did it the the same day. But he did it the day after. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. And the karma just keeps building for Chapman. Because coming into the Mets... Where, remember I said Pete Alonso had a walk-off home run? Well, it was all drawn up by a Chapman blown save with J.D. Davis hitting a game-tying home run with one out in the bottom of the ninth. Karma, baby. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Chapman, uh, he's getting a good dose of karma here because... He didn't want to own up to it. Obviously, I don't expect him to. No one would expect him to. But the fact that he did it, it's just karma. That's the baseball god speaking right there. That is Tom Seifer speaking from the heavens saying, 
not today. Boom, home run. And then the inning after that, Pete Alonso, boom, walk off in the pouring rain. I loved it. It was perfect. And obviously, you know, the Mets fans loved it. They, they don't like the Yankees. <laughs> so so uh, that's how that whole situation played out there. Uh, but the But the Yankees, I mean, they're not out of a playoff spot, so to speak. But when you look at their division, and I'm not sure what their schedule is remaining, but I have to think that they're going to play Toronto at least one more time. I don't think they play the Rays anymore, but they have to have Toronto, I believe, on their radar at some point during this last stretch. Maybe not. Maybe not. But the big thing with Toronto is why I bring it up. They're tied for that quote-unquote second seed from the division or the runner-up gets a bid into the playoffs. They're tied with Toronto. Yankees are sitting at 20 and 16, and so is Toronto. Exactly the same record. Toronto is on a two-game winning streak, and the Yankees are on the opposite side. They're on a a two-game losing streak. So the karma from Chapman... Uh, it, it it could cost the Yankees down the line because when you look at, I mean, it's it's eight teams. It's hard to think that there's eight other teams in the AL better than the Yankees. I'm not saying that the Yankees aren't going to make it, but the seeding could really play a factor because right now, if you're looking at the divisions, I mean, we're going to talk a we were going to talk about the divisions a little bit later into the podcast, but I'll bring it up since we're here. Uh, you got the Rays sitting on top of the AL East. And then you have the Cleveland Indians sitting on top of the Central. And then you have the Oakland A's sitting on top of the West. Now, one, two, three would be the Rays, the A's, and the Indians. That would be one, two, three. Then you get down to four, five, and six, which would be the runner-ups. Let's just go ahead and say that Toronto gets the uh, one of those spots, the four, five, and six. Let's go ahead and give the first one to the Chicago White Sox, who have the best record of the second-place teams. Then we'll give it to Houston, which would be the number five. Then we'll give it to Toronto, who gets the number six. Now you're looking at seven and eight, and that is the best remaining of the possible playoff teams. Now, if we're going off of win percentage, number seven is Minnesota. And then sitting at number eight, clinging on to life, is the New York Yankees. Now, there is only one other team that is within striking distance. And like I said, to say eight teams are better than the Yankees, is a long shot. It is hard to do. Eight teams that come on. <laughs> that's that's kind of tough. Eight teams out of 15 in a league. That's a little bit. I mean, you're talking about the bottom tier here. But still, the Yankees slating it at number eight if it goes down that way. The only team that poses an immediate threat at the moment 
is the Detroit Tigers who are 500. So again, I'm not saying that the Yankees aren't going to make the playoffs. But the seeding does matter. Seeding does matter. And if you do get the one and the eight seed, because I'm not exactly sure how the playoffs go, but t- typically, historically, it's it's the one and the eight, the two and the seven, the three and the six, the four and the five. That's usually how it goes. I don't know how they're going to do it in this format. I haven't really looked into it. I probably should. Playoffs are coming up soon. But because of the runner-ups, I don't know if uh, if a division winner has you know gets the pick their uh, you know from the wild card teams and I I don't know how that all goes. I really don't know. I really don't. I'm going to have to look that up. But if it is a 1 and 8 seed scenario, you could be looking at the Rays and the Yankees in a three-game series in the wild card round. And I don't think the Yankees want any part of that. Especially with how the karma's been going the last couple of days. So it's going to be an interesting uh, look down the stretch for the AL. Again, it's five games. It's doable. It's not impossible. But we're getting to crunch time here. I mean, I think we're past crunch time. This is this is unique. This is do or die. And five games in about what 20, 22 games. That is a a tough task. It's a tough task. For anyone, let alone the Yankees, who are just hurting on every side of the of the of the diamond, it's just it's impossible. I, it's amazing that they're still just five games out. I mean that that's just amazing at this point. But enough with the AL East. I think I've talked your talked your ear off about the Yankees far too much. But let's go ahead and look at the the NL East because the NL East got really exciting over the last week, week and a half. The reason being is that the Atlanta Braves, they're on a hot streak. They've won seven out of, uh, out of their last ten, seven and three in ten games. They're on a four-game winning streak. Sitting at 22 and 14 on the year. And currently, as it stands, they are the number two seed in the National League behind the Dodgers. Go figure. But when you look at the East and you look at the Braves specifically, I mean, the the Braves, you're talking about history. We're going to talk about Kershaw here in a little bit because he made his own history. But some more history on uh, the Braves front is that they had two guys, Marcelo Suna, Adam Duvall. They had back-to-back three home run games at Fenway Park. That is impressive. And the fact that they did it back-to-back is even more impressive. But then what's more impressive is that they became the first teammates since Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Let me say that again. The first teammates since Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. We're talking 1930. That was the last time that that was done. You mean to tell me all these big combos of guys 
Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, A-Rod, Ken Griffey. Like, you talk about all these big boppers. Conseco, McGuire, like, really? (laughs) None of these guys did it? Yeah, that was the only time. And in a technicality, it's the first time that it ever happened in back-to-back games on separate days because Ruth and Lou Gehrig, they did it on a doubleheader the same day. I don't know what's more impressive. I want to say the separate days because, I mean, you could ride a hot... I don't know. I, I don't know what would be more impressive. But... Just to just to have that happen at Fenway, I mean, out of all places, <laughs> that's uh, that's just amazing. So the Braves they continue to roll again, sitting on top of the East, but right behind them is the Philadelphia Phillies. Out of nowhere, they're riding a four-game winning streak. And they have won nine out of their last ten. And what was more impressive about this one, again, making history, the uh, this was the first time because they swept the Nationals. And the Nationals, unfortunately, due to this schedule, I mean, 12 and 23 would be looking good if you were in 2019, but not right now. It's, it's looking terrible unless they've, they flipped the lid and win like 20 straight, which... It has been done before. <laughs> if they go ahead and win 20 straight, then maybe, maybe they have a shot. But not looking that way. Four-game sweep of the Nationals, and this is the first time that it happened in Philadelphia since the Nationals were the Expos in 1991, a year prior to Tom Seifer being voted into the Hall of Fame. That is impressive. That, that is a very long streak. And again, I, I said the Expos because, you know, for, for the youngsters listening to the podcast, the Expos were the team that the Nationals are now when they were in Montreal before they moved to Washington. So, yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a year before I was born. That's how long that was. <laughs> but the Phillies, in doing so, They win nine out of their last ten, and they're two and a half games back of Atlanta. Now, that makes things very interesting because these teams do not play each other anymore. They're done. They're they're over with. So the Phillies are going to have to play catch-up. And I I believe the Phillies still have games to, to make up because of everything that happened with COVID at the beginning of the season. Because if my if my math is correct, just on the fly, they're back about three games of of comparison. Because it looks like the Braves have played what is that thirty six, and the Phillies have played thirty three. So a three game difference could be the deciding factor. Because if the if the Phillies went ahead and won three more games, they'd be sitting at twenty one and fifteen, and the Braves would be twenty two and fourteen. 
So they'd only be back one game right now if, if, it all, if that all happened right now. But the fact that the Phillies, they were sitting at the bottom. Maybe not the bottom bottom. They were, they were right above the Nationals. But they were definitely below everyone else a, a week ago. And now the Phillies are right there within striking distance. Definitely within striking distance of getting into the postseason. Which I think in this season, that's all you're just trying to do. Because you get any of these teams in a three-game series, anything can happen. Anything can happen. So that that makes it interesting going down the stretch. Because in the in the National League, I mean, let's just go ahead and do that since we're looking at the East. You got Atlanta sitting at the number two seed. We already said the Dodgers, they're at number one. Then you have the Cubs sitting at the number three spot going into the weekend. Then you have... The uh, San Diego Padres, who are hot as hell, uh, about a week ago. Now they're they're not they're not as hot as they were, but there's six games back from the Dodgers. Dodgers about to be the first team that get to thirty wins on the season. But so you got the Dodgers, you got the Braves, you got the Cubs. Then number four, you got the Padres. Number five, you have the Phillies. And then number six, you have the St. Louis Cardinals, which the Cardinals and the Cubs have themselves a pretty uh, big, big series coming up. I believe it's a four-gamer, too. Or no, it's a five-gamer. It's a five-gamer because the Cardinals have to make up a game from when they missed games in uh, at the beginning of the season with COVID. So they're playing a five-gamer in Chicago. So that's that's going to be one of the series to watch this weekend. Definitely, for sure. So St. Louis rounds off the uh, one, through, one through six. Then you look at number seven and eight. Right now, it would be the Miami Marlins would get that number seven spot. And then you have the Colorado Rockies sneaking in at number eight. But right there within striking distance, you got the Milwaukee Brewers and you got the San Francisco Giants. San Francisco Giants actually uh, a couple of points ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. I believe they're only one game up or half a game. I think believe it's half a game. So in the National League, you, you still got teams that are below 500, still making a case to make the postseason. Actually, in the National League, you have uh, you have one team actually making the postseason below 500. That would be the Colorado Rockies. Everyone else is either at 500 or better. We might still have that scenario by the time that this season's over. So that's the standings going into the weekend. But before we talk about some weekend games, let's go ahead and talk about, because we talked about Tom Seifer. That's who we opened up against, or that's who we opened up with to start this podcast. And that was the pitcher of those times. Now, we have the pitcher of my time that we're going to talk about here in Clayton Kershaw. Now, I'm no way comparing Clayton Kershaw to Tom Seifer. I think it's too early for that comparison. 
but for what Kershaw has been during the regular season, let me let me be clear with that. During the regular season, what Kershaw has been, he's just been amazing. He just hasn't got done in the postseason, which is a big bummer for Dodger fans. And, you know, Kershaw, we'll see if he's able to to get that World Series ring. I mean, this is as good as any other year for Kershaw to get it. But he reached a milestone this week. He reached 2,500 strikeouts. 2,500 strikeouts. And with that classic curveball, too. That You know, that classic Clayton Kershaw curveball that starts at your shoulders, ends on your knees. It was just iconic. You know what curveball I'm talking about. And he struck out Nick Ahmed. And he was the third youngest to do so. 2,500. And in comparison, Tom Seaver, he had that 3,640 strikeouts. Sixth all-time. Clayton Kershaw gets his 25, 20, 25th. Clayton Kershaw gets his 2,500 strikeout. And then later goes on because he gets six. He only needed three to reach that landmark. He got it. He got the milestone, but he got eight in the game. Only allowed one hit. This guy is phenomenal. You're talking about his three Cy Youngs equal to Tom Seaver. Clayton Kershaw could very well easily win the Cy Young again this year. Get number four. It's possible. Well, he got those eight because Kershaw right now on the season, he's 5-1 and one with a 1.50 ERA, 41 strikeouts. That is good enough for a Cy Young. But he got the eight. He now sits at 2505 and is listed 38th on the all-time list, passing Christy Mathewson, who is sitting at 2502. Now put that into comparison. Put put that into perspective. Because we all talk about how great Clayton Kershaw is. I mean, he's a generational pitcher. When you think of The past 20 years, past 15 years, I guess, you think of Kershaw, you think of Max Scherzer, you think of Verlander. Those are the guys. Then you could throw in Pedro Martinez and and all those guys prior to Kershaw. But the past 10 years has been Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer. Maybe throw in Strasburg in there as well. But just to give perspective, Kershaw's milestone lands him at 38 all-time. And he's nowhere near done. But 38 all-time, Tom Seifer was sixth. Sixth. Yes, it is only a gap of about 1,100. 1,100 and some change. And... Again, I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm just trying to say how good Tom Seifer was. But Clayton Kershaw, he gets his milestone. And 
you know, the, the big question for Kershaw is where does he land? As far as Dodger fans, as far as baseball fans, where does he land on the hierarchy? Especially within the Dodger organization. Could you easily go ahead and say that Clayton Kershaw is the greatest pitcher to have pitched for the Dodgers organization? I think it's too early to call right now. But, I mean, you look at the strikeout numbers, he's already passed Don Drysdale earlier this season, and he now sits second on the all-time strikeout leader leaderboard for the Dodgers. He only needs to catch Don Sutton, who is about uh, 100, 200 away. A little less than 200, more than 100. I don't know the exact number. I'm looking at it right now because Don Sutton has 2696. Clayton Kershaw is at 2505. So give or take, it's about 100, what is that, 100 and, uh, it's about 191, if my math is correct. If it's not, sue me. Who cares? <laughs> but he's close. What I'm saying is that Kershaw, by next season, will be the number one in strikeouts for the Dodgers organization. And that says a lot because you got, like I said, Don Sutton. You got Don Drysdale. You got Sandy Koufax. You got all those guys. And Kershaw would be number one. But the thing that some of those guys, not all of them, but some of them that have on Kershaw is the World Series titles. That is what separates Kershaw. Is he great? I don't know. Is he really good? Yeah. But is he an all-time great? The World Series ring would put him in that ca- in that category. But I mean, you look at the wins, he has 175 wins on the season, a 2.43 career ERA so far. So, I mean, right now he already has a better career ERA than than Tom Seifer. That's saying something. Still has more years to go. Could go up a little bit, but when you look at the trend of the ERA of Clayton Kershaw, it's only been going down or staying the same. It it has not gotten worse. If anything, he's gotten better with age. So, Clayton Kershaw, hats off to you for reaching that milestone because, again, it's only the uniform you wear, but... Clayton Kershaw is just amazing. People are going to think I'm a Dodger fan after talking up Clayton Kershaw a little bit. (laughs) I'm anything but. Anything but. But Clayton Kershaw is the man. He is the pitcher of the generation. Can't put him up there as all-time great if he doesn't get that World Series ring, though. But we'll see. That ever-elusive World Series ring. From Kershaw. We'll see if it's this year. Because Dodgers are as good as anyone right now. Again, going to be the first team to get to 30 wins. Sitting down 29 right now. But as we look into the weekend, and we'll wrap up, we have some uh, some pretty good matchups. One that Giants fans have been waiting for since the day he left is Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner will be returning to Oracle Park 
to pitch against the Giants on Saturday. And I am sorry I cannot be there. That is one that I'm definitely going to record and rewatch. Hope the Giants get some get some dingers on him. <laughs> no hard feelings, Bumgarner. He did leave us. But it is a business. It's all good. But I just want to see Bumgarner pitch against his former team. It's gonna it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be awkward. I've only seen Bumgarner pitch, I think, twice in another uniform, maybe three times. I want to say twice. No, three times. And it just looked awkward. And then just to see him pitch against the Giants. Ugh, I'm I'm gonna have my barf bag ready. Like I, I'm not <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for that. The A's, they are cleared to come back after their little scare with COVID. They're cleared to play on Friday in a battle of the heavyweights as they take on the Padres. You got the 22 and 12 Oakland A's playing the Padres, the 23 and 16 Padres. So that is going to be a good one. They're going to have some some good stuff there. You're going to have Chapman versus Tatis Jr. Some good stuff. We already talked about the Cubs. Cubs have a five-game set against the Cardinals. Cardinals are only three and a half games back from the Cubs. So that is a big, big series. And then you look around the, the board. You got the battle of, I guess, Florida. You got the Marlins trying to keep afloat, taking on the Tampa Bay Rays. We're trying to extend that that lead over the Yankees. You got the Yankees taking on the Baltimore Orioles. Orioles could be one of those teams that sneak in there, but they're a little bit they're a little bit on the downside. Then you got the Phillies taking on the Mets. Phillies hope to keep track with the Atlanta Braves, who the Braves are actually taking on the uh, the team that the Phillies swept in the Washington Nationals. And then to finish it up, you got the Colorado Rockies taking on the L.A. Dodgers. If the Rockies want any chance of getting to the postseason, their winning streak has to start now, and that is a tough task to do against the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I'm going to go ahead and end the podcast here. hope you enjoyed it, and hope you had fun like I did talking all this baseball looking back and reminiscing on Tom C for a little bit, looking at Clayton Kershaw's achievements and talking all that nonsense about the Yankees. (laughs) So you guys have a good one. Be safe. And we'll talk to you next time.